When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Even if you are a 100% stock investor, there comes a time when most people or most investors want to get safer or more conservative with their overall investments. Call it asset allocation, portfolio balancing, adding to the safety bucket. In fact, $3 trillion worth of Americans' investments sit in something called target date retirement funds, predicated on some version of owning more conservative investments like bonds the older you get. The problem is that many retirees and early retirees might get too conservative in these automatic vehicles that are in millions of retirement plans around America, unless you start thinking about your time horizon in a new way. Today, we'll cover the 1550 stock rule that might help you do just that. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. You've heard the concept that investing is simple, but it's not necessarily easy. And I think we're living through one of those periods of time that's a good example of why it isn't always that easy. And that's because we get so easily distracted. You are now being hit over the head with people making millionaires of themselves in a course of a couple of days or a couple of months. 2021 is one of those years where we have had the Dogecoin story, where Dogecoin is this joke of a cryptocurrency, literally started as a joke. Now, uh, And you see teenagers who put a little bit of money in and now they're worth millions of dollars. And we've had this phenomenon continue in the year of 2021 called the meme stock. And the meme stock, of course, these are these are companies that trade on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ, or these are publicly traded companies that have a following on some sort of online community, call it Reddit or Wall Street Bets or Discord or wherever it may be. Then investors will collectively agree to kind of back a stock, whether it's a fighting against the big hedge funds or just because they like it. And you've heard the stories of GameStop going up exponentially and BlackBerry, which was an old dying brand, but now has been revitalized because partially because of a base of really rapidly enthusiastic investors. And of course, the movie theater chain, AMC, went from a couple dollars a share to almost $60 a share seemingly overnight, a friend of mine from Florida bought on, to some extent, not a total whim, but the thought of, hey, people are going to start going back to movie theaters and bought 10,000 shares of stock in AMC at a couple bucks at $3. So $30,000 was the investment. And 
not long ago, and it, and again, as you listen to this podcast, who knows? Because at any given day, these stocks can be up 20, 30% or down 20, 30%. But over a very short period of time, he his 30,000 turned into about 650,000. Now, it didn't stay there for very long, but that kind of wealth creation is astronomical. And it is very easy to have your eye off the long-term prize, which is systematic, fundamental, almost boring investing that really gets people to wealth. It also keeps people wealthy. And being caught up in this storm of meme is very interesting, but not a durable investment strategy that I've seen work over and over and over again. We've seen meme-like scenarios pop up. The tech Bubble was an example of that in the late 1990s, and that ended very badly with the NASDAQ down almost 80% at one point after the technology crash. And we don't know, we've we, we seen Bitcoin go down 20, 30, 40% in very short periods of time. So that's cryptocurrency. And now we're seeing meme companies that are these pop culture stocks that get very popular and, become, and can become very unpopular very quickly. Now, speaking of this reversion to the meme stock, or meaning that we continue to see these periods of time where meme stocks go away and then they'll come back for a period of time. The most recent example, and perhaps one of the most frenzied examples, has to do with the movie theater chain, AMC. On a quiet week in June of 2021, their CEO announced that shareholders were going to now have access to a new perks program, if you will announcing that popcorn, that's actual popcorn, would be available for shareholders of AMC. And then this whole program with a series of perks. Well, that sent the stock absolutely through the roof. And in the matter of a few days, the stock was up about 300%. AMC was also smart as a company, or at least playing into this trend, they said, look, we've got $5 billion or more in debt and another $5 billion or more in leases, and we're short on cash. So during that frenzy, they sold over 11 million shares of stock or new stock to investors and raised $587 million in just a week. In fact, over a quarter of a year, AMC raised $1.25 billion to add to their balance sheet. Essentially giving a company that went through a terrible time during the pandemic to having a lifeline of cash to get rebooted along with the reopening economy. But what's interesting about these meme stocks is that it's now a very real variable when it comes to looking at what a stock might or might not do. In fact, the CEO of AMC not only started announcing that he was giving out free popcorn, but he also did a matching donation to the Reddit community that loves his stock to their favorite charity. That charity, the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund, which happens to be a popular charity on Wall Street Bets in their Reddit forum. Is that really a cause for AMC, the, the movie company? Well, if you're trying to keep your shareholders, it certainly seems to be. It's a charity near and dear to the Reddit community's heart. By the way, I looked this up. And it looks like a foundation that was started in 1967 by Diane Fossey, who started a research center to help endangered mountain gorillas in Rwanda's Virunga Mountains. Again, this meme 
stock frenzy is almost this new form of shareholder activism. If a company can engender a whole base of people that love your product, in this case, movie theaters, and that product starts to go away, the investor base in this case, and we've seen this along with GameStop and BlackBerry, they get very agitated and they want to do everything they can to keep the brand alive. AMC went so far to say as they they literally put out a statement that said, under the circumstances, we caution you against investing our Class A common stock unless you are prepared to incur the risk of losing all or a substantial portion of your investment. But at the same time, they went out and sold new shares to the public and raised tons and tons of cash. But I think the bottom line here is that these meme stocks are just a new form of shareholder activism. If a company has engendered a true love from its customer base and they get a tsunami of buyers, it's a variable that has to be taken into consideration for investors. But these meme stocks are trades, the way I look at them, and not just not investments. These are these buyers are very much following momentum, not the businesses. So when a company goes from a $2 billion valuation to $26 billion over the course of a couple of weeks, it just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This is something that if maybe you have your finger on the trigger, ready to sell, 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 and maybe you love popcorn, then God bless. But also don't let this take your eyes off the prize, which is long-term investing in a diversified portfolio that if it grows by 8 to 10% a year over time, can be extremely powerful in retirement. And that's why today we're talking about updating our thinking around how much as a percentage of our overall portfolio should we have in stocks over time as we get older and deeper into retirement. So we are in this confluence of, of a world that says, patience, systematic investing, but then you're getting hit over the head with, hey, this 16-year-old just became a millionaire. Well, should I be doing that? And that's what today is really all about because there's a much more durable concept I wanted to go over in today's show. And that is the concept of the 1550 stock rule. The 1550 stock rule is a way for you to start thinking about how much money do I want to have, at least in the equity markets or the stock market, even when I get into retirement, even as I get into the point where I'm no longer working and I want to be in a, in a more conservative stance, I still want you to remember this concept called the 1550 stock rule that actually goes somewhat counter, maybe it's a more aggressive way to look at investing than most of the, call it $3 trillion, that's with a T, $3 trillion target date fund market in the United States. Target date funds were created in the early 2000s and they have evolved and become very popular as a default option in millions of 401k plans around the United States. And they've attracted trillions, literally trillions of dollars. So the United States, if you were to look at the assets under management in anywhere from the T. Rowe Price or Vanguard or Fidelity of all the different the, uh, the companies that do target date funds, it's a massive industry, which tells me that it's a popular investment choice for Americans. And it was built on a foundation of something called Own Your Age in Bonds. I, it's a terrible acronym, O-Y-A-I-B. But it is a, was a very popular fundamental investment philosophy that was, was essentially the foundation of 
many target date funds. Now, not all. And I want to couch this in saying that one company that has a target date fund may have a very different version than another mutual fund company that creates target date funds. So they're not all created equal. But to some extent, the, the industry was predicated upon investors becoming more conservative over time. So a target date fund, when you were still working and you may have picked the target date of, hey, 2015, that was the year I was going to retire. And 2015, that target date fund may have had 50 or 60 or 70% in stocks. But then it automatically migrates to becoming more conservative over time. What's really interesting about this is that if you open up the hood and look at what these target date funds look like now or deeper into retirement, I think it's actually very concerning because the target date funds continue to get more and more and more conservative to the point where you may be someone in your 60s, and this is for anyone listening, whether you're in your 30s or 40s, remember that this is a vehicle that's a popular option inside most 401k plans. Those target date funds can get really conservative to the point where you may only have 20 or 30% total in stocks and the rest in the bond market, which is very, very different and may not be the right hedge against inflation over a really long period of time. And that's why I wanted to discuss this 1550 stock rule. And I'll just bury the lead, if you will, and just come out and talk about what the the rule says, is that very simply, if you believe that you have 15 years or more left on this planet, so that's your time horizon, and I would contend that almost anyone listening certainly has at least, God willing, 15 years, or even if you're 80 listening to this podcast, you probably say, well, of course, hopefully I've got more than 15 years. And and by the way, I might not be spending all this money anyway, so it's really going to go to my children, my grandchildren, and they might have 50 years. So if you believe your time horizon for the money you're investing is 15 years or more, then I would contend, or at least the 1550 stock rule says you should have at least, at least 50% of your overall portfolio in stocks. The other 50% can be in more conservative investments like bonds or cash, but at least 50% in equity markets. And that may not sound like an awful lot to some of the listeners of the Retire Sooner podcast. You may be 100% and say, Wes, well, I'm already going to be 100%. It's an available option in target date funds for almost anybody that has a 401k plan. And I want to make sure that people understand what's inside those target date funds. We're going to get through and talk about that here today. Here's what this larger overarching philosophy, uh, own your age and bonds, is really all about. And I remember originally hearing this from John Bogle. I was fortunate enough to interview many years ago, more than a decade ago before his passing, the founder of Vanguard Funds, John Bogle, who has done so much for so many investors. And one of his early philosophies that, again, many target date funds have been built after or built upon is this this concept of own your age in bonds, meaning that when you're 50 years old, you should have 50% in bonds. When you're 60 years old, you should have 60% in bonds. If you're 90%, if you're if you're 80 years old, you should have 80% in bonds. Pretty pretty simple concept. And it also allowed or told investors to just get more conservative over time. Now, this concept isn't the worst concept in the world. It'd be becoming more conservative as an investor as you get older is not a terrible idea. Right? When you're no longer adding to your portfolio, I think that it makes a lot of sense that you may want more security. 
I do think asset allocation is still extraordinarily important. Of course, that's the concept of owning both U.S. and international large and small stocks, along with other asset classes like bonds and real estate and a variety of other areas that make sure that you're not too heavily invested in one given area. But the concept of owning your agent bonds was also developed during a period of time when the bond market had a really impressive run. If you take a look at some of, st- some of the statistics and go back and look at the 10-year treasury bond since 1928, you're going to see that it's returned on average a little over 5% average annual rate of return. But if you look at it over the last 30, really 40 years, if you go back to the mid-1970s, the average return on the treasury bond has been over 7.5%. That's not too far, the 12 plus or minus percent that we've seen for the stock market. But it's important to understand that we've been in an environment that has provided a real tailwind for bonds. The relationship for bond investing is actually pretty simple. As interest rates go down, bond prices go up. So if you imagine buying bonds in the early 1980s when interest rates are at 15 or 20%, we've seen interest rates on bonds steadily go lower, which has given a tailwind as rates have come down, bond prices have gone up. So bond investors have not only gotten their coupons over the years, their interest rate, they've also gotten a lift to their bond prices. So it's made for a really healthy environment for that asset class. However, coming out of the financial crisis and then the global pandemic, is interest rates have essentially gone to zero. In fact, the Federal Reserve has kept short-term interest rates at zero for a very long period of time, which begs the question, which way can interest rates go now? Well, certainly they could go negative, but that doesn't last very long. We've seen that phenomenon happen, but it doesn't last all that long. So the natural course for interest rates is to move higher over the next 5 and 10 and 20 years. Well, that's the opposite, what we've seen for the last several decades. So if interest rates climb higher, that means bond prices will move lower. If that's the case, how are we going to still have this plus 7% average annual return for bonds in an environment where bonds are paying very little to begin with and the prices may actually come down? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have anything in bonds. I think it's still a very important place for safety and stability, particularly for more conservative investors. But are we going to get 7% a year out of bonds over the next decade per annum? I doubt it. So I'd like to help graduate this thinking of own your agent bonds to the 1550 stock rule. And the 1550 stock rule is going to typically steer investors to having a little bit more in stocks than they would otherwise have under the old pretense. For example, I just looked at the Vanguard Target 2015 fund, and I'm not going to say there's anything right or wrong about this fund, but here's the reality of this. Imagine you were 62 in 2015 and you retired, and this is the fund you have your retirement assets in. Well, back then, it had a pretty good portion in stocks. However, fast forward to 2021, six years later, now that individual is only 68, but the allocation has climbed to almost 70% in bonds and only around 30 or 32% in stocks. It's also going to continue to migrate even more conservative than that. 
So you may find yourself with these target date funds having only 20 or 30% total in equity markets. And you would find yourself relying on the bond portion to outpace inflation. And as I just described, I think that's a tall order for bonds to do. Now, let's consider another really maybe equally important point, And that's that in the world that we live in today, we're living longer and longer. And it's not uncommon for your retirement to be 25 or 35 years long. So depending on how much you saved by the time you get to the point where you can stop working, that money may have to last multiple, multiple decades. And it might require you to take on at least a bit more risk than, let's say, an earlier generation of retirees. And it might require all of us to take at least a bit more risk than the earlier generation of retirees that came before us. And that means owning more stocks. And it gives us the answer to this question. Do you ever wonder if you're over-invested in stocks or when you're retired, should you even own stocks at all? And the answer to that is most of us never really outgrow the importance of owning stocks as a hedge against inflation, no matter how old we get. So if you think you're an investor and you're headed into retirement with even a moderate risk tolerance or higher, I think it might be time to park the own your age and bonds approach and be very careful about owning too much in target date retirement funds. And instead, think about this rule of thumb, the 1550 stock rule, that I would consider more timely for the next decade or two, potentially much more effective. Now, I'm not the only person that has advocated for a rule like this. And it's actually been around for decades. I think it was most prominently championed by Warren Buffett. But Buffett got this idea from one of his professors named Benjamin Graham. And I wrote about this in You Can Retire Sooner Than You Think. Benjamin Graham, again, Warren Buffett's teacher, essentially said that if you don't know exactly what your investment mix should be, whether you're 30, whether you're 50, or you're 80, that having 50% in stocks and 50% bonds is always a good mix. And that if we have the bond side go higher to 55, meaning stocks probably dropped, then at the end of the year, you should rebalance back to 50% in stocks and back to 50% in bonds. Conversely, if your stock side grows to 55 or 60% in any given year relative to bonds, you shave off that 50%. It's essentially what Benjamin Graham was talking about was a form of annual rebalancing. But the key or nucleus of that idea is that you always have 50% in one market, 50% in a very different market. That mix perennially gives you a really nice balance. Here's what I think is the bottom line when it comes to the 15-50 stock rule. Again, as a quick reminder, if you think you have 15 years left on this planet or the money that you're investing has a 15-year or more time horizon, that may be your life, your retirement, along with the money you think you'll leave to your kids and your grandchildren, then at a bare minimum, you should have 50% in some diversified stock portfolio. As we sit here today in 2021, there are about $3 trillion in assets in target date funds. That means they are a very popular option. Many of those target date funds were developed under this pretense of own your age in bonds. That was a good idea. 
also developed in a period of time where we were in a 30, 40 year bond bull market where bonds were making five to 7% per year on average. However, with the interest rate environment that we are in today with extraordinarily low interest rates, it makes intuitive sense that interest rates really don't have a whole lot of room to go lower and may move higher over time. Because we know the relationship as rates go up on prices come down, it's going to be really difficult to see a really strong or good bond market over at least the next decade or so. So if the target date fund approach maybe now starts to feel too conservative or the own your age in bonds pretense maybe sounds too conservative, I think it'd be a good time or it might help or be helpful to you to consider this 1550 stock roll as an update to your overall investment thinking. Now, I still love the balance that that is provided by owning investments in the conservative bond side of the equation. But having only 20 or 25 or 30% in stocks through a 10, 20, 30 year retirement, I just don't think that makes sense for most people. And I think it's almost too low risk for most people to hit their goals and make sure that their money lasts and keeps up with inflation. Because remember, most of us are investing for much longer periods of time than we really think. In fact, you might wanna consider your investment time horizon as some version of forever. If you like the Retire Sooner podcast, we would love for you to leave a quick review or just a quick rating on your smartphone. And as always, you can find me and the Retire Sooner team at wesmoss.com, the ask button in the upper right-hand corner. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.